0: lawful gun ownership in this country without regard to party politics and now here's michael cargill
1: good afternoon austin texas the live music capital of the world let's praise the lord and pass the ammunition it's sad to say but true that most people will know someone who has experienced great violence or will experience great violence themselves We live in such an interconnected world, it's hard to escape the continuous onslaught of gruesome stories covered throughout the media. This message is detailed in a recent study released in the December edition of Preventive Medicine of Boston's University of Public Health and Medicine. Now, the study revealed that it was near statistically impossible to not know a victim of gun violence if you live in the U.S., unfortunately, the study elects to classify suicides where the victim uses a gun as gun violence. This is not to say that the 63 percent of deaths used in the study that are due to suicide are not important. On the contrary, they are mental health and suicide are massive issues, but they contribute to the overwhelming majority of what researchers classify as gun violence alone with actual gun violence likely inner city and gang-related gun violence. But these are very different problems, and trying to put them in the same category or fight them with the same tactics is not realistic. You can't solve for just gun violence without focusing on just the gun which, of course, isn't actually the problem. It only muddies the waters when you classify in such general terms and it misleads the public. Now, today, we have a packed lineup. Later in the show, we will chat with Maj Torre, founder of Black Guns Matter. Up first, we will chat with Sid Miller, Texas Agricultural Commissioner, so we can get his take on the recent terror threat scheduled for Monday. So they say. Also, inside the studio, we have Mark Miller, Libertarian candidate for Railroad Commission. But up first, our Washington, D.C. correspondent and associate editor at the Daily Caller, John Griffin, is on the phone. John, welcome to come and talk it, sir.
2: Michael, it's always a pleasure to be on the program. How are you, sir?
1: Outstanding, doing it really well. So, John, tell me, what is your take on this upcoming election?
2: Well, you know, that's a really tough question, especially considering... How important this election is. This isn't like any other election we've ever we've ever faced, Michael. This is truly an existential threat we face uh, in in our in our country right now. Our debt now equals our GDP. That's all the wealth you and I and every other Texan and American makes in a single year. Our uh, our is under strain worldwide, trying to prevent what is a massive uh, Islamic, uh, radical Islamic terror movement. And uh, at the same time, we have two candidates that have challenges. Uh, Donald Trump uh, is is uh, who I'm supporting, and the reasons for that uh, the reasons for that are, are pretty uh, pretty simple. Um, we have an, a state of emergency right now in this country, and we can't afford to be checklist voters. We can't afford to put our sensibilities and our, our desire not to be not to want to be offended uh, ahead of our public duty to elect someone who will address all those issues.
1: Absolutely. So let me bring into the conversation our Texas Agricultural Commissioner, Sid Miller. Mr. Miller, welcome to come and talk sir.
3: Well, thanks for having me on today. It's great to be
1: here. and I'm glad you can make it. So Mr. Miller, tell me, um, Commissioner, uh, how's it going in the, the Texas AG? You know, how are things going ever since you've took you've taken over?
3: Well, I've been in office about twenty two months now. We've completely reorganized the the whole uh uh Department. Most people think we're just cows and cows, but uh, we're actually the consumer protection agency for the state. We do all the weights and measures, for example. of the 400,000 fuel pumps in the state, so we regulate those. We, make, we check them and make sure that they're uh, accurate. Uh, when I came on board, it was taking eight years to get to all of those, so we put in a new plan where we're going to get them all in, in 12 months and not just uh, check them, but we're going to have them calibrated to zero error And we've got a new program we're implementing to check for skimmers. That's going to be a big deal where they put a device in the interior of the pump and and steal your credit card information. So we're we're combating that. And uh, our inspectors, we inspect inspect everything from from eggs and organic produce to, to pesticide applicators to... Starbucks to pawn shops to the scales at the airport to lottery balls. So our inspectors, we reorganized we that. We're uh, inspectors are up 30 percent. per inspector, and we're driving 20 percent less. That's about a million miles a year. So we put in some good things. It's been a lot of hard work, uh, uh, but we're very proud of the work that our department has done.
1: Okay, and. Just uh, on Friday, the governor released a statement because the FBI said that, hey, there's a possible terror attack that may take place in New York, Virginia, and Texas. Now, the governor's statement says this My office is working with law enforcement officials, and we are continuing to monitor the situation in close coordination with the Texas Department of Public Safety. Texans should go about their daily lives as usual, but remain vigilant over the next several days and report any suspicious activity to state or local law enforcement. The state of Texas will continue to do everything it can to ensure the safety and security of its citizens. Now, when I read that statement, the first thing that comes to mind is, you know what? This is Texas. And in Texas, our guns have guns. So bring it. (laughs) So uh, let me ask you, Commissioner Miller, you know, what's your take on that?
3: Well, you know, prior to being the Texas Agriculture Commissioner, I served in the Council of Representatives where I was chairman of Homeland Security and Public Safety. So, of course, I had oversight over the Texas Rangers and DPS and securing the Texas border. Well, you know, we, we catch a lot of what we call OTMs coming into our country, you know, other than Mexicans. And they're not they're necessarily from South America. They're from syria and iraq and iran and and uh you know pakistan we believe it or not they get in and we, we catch them but we don't catch all of them and it's kind of uh odd or ironic that you'd bring that up today seven years ago if you remember was a long-winded attack at fort hood we uh, lost some of our beloved soldiers and then several were wounded and uh, very very tragic and our president uh, decided it was uh work culture. it was just workplace violence. It was not uh, you know, a terror attack, which uh, is we know is baloney and, and uh, finally, finally with the work of our congressional team here from Texas that we're gonna that we've awarded those uh victims and survivors uh, the purple heart. So we take it very seriously here in Texas and uh-huh. the governor alerts you to that. Uh, uh be on your you know, be on the lookout, no low, be on the lookout. So, uh, yes, sir, Uh, you know, if you see something, report it, you know. So everybody needs to be on the the, the lookout. Uh, They head to the polls on Tuesday.
2: Commissioner Miller, thank you so much for coming on the program today. This is John Griffin here. Um, I I wanted to ask you something related to what you've done at the Agricultural Department uh, and how it relates to this terror threat. Uh, Sir, you have, under your leadership, Managed to get compliance up to 96% on inspections of things coming into our state from other countries uh, that are plants and that are uh, that are food related, and uh, I want to know why we can't do that in our great state with uh, people coming here, individuals, people coming here legally from those dangerous countries you just mentioned.
3: Go ahead. Well, here's the difference: uh, we perform biosecurity We we perform. Uh, border security at the Texas Department of Culture, but we we don't do the people end of it. We do the phytosanitary. We protect our farmers and ranchers from invasive pests and diseases, hoof-and-mouth disease, fever ticks, citrus greening, bow weevils. You know, and we actually do, uh, just like the highway patrol, we do roadside stop. We pull trucks over, and we, we uh, open them up, we search them, and, and a lot of times we find, you know, illegal uh, plants in there, but a lot of times we find illegal contraband. But right. the state of Texas has basically has full control over that. Unlike our our border, uh, which the federal government is supposed to be, you know, securing, uh, and they don't. Uh, that's why that's the problem. It's a failure of the federal government to perform its job as far as the uh, human smuggling and, and drug trafficking and, and all the illegal activity coming in. Uh, you know, other than plants and stuff like that.
2: Well, yes, sir. I know there's a federal jurisdiction aspect, and I know you have, you have no you know a connection with with border security issues. But well, I, I just mean to say, it would be very nice to see our state, like we've been doing recently, assume uh, increasing responsibility for the job that the feds will not do. And I think we can do that. We have a great organization called DPS. And uh, it's just a matter of giving them a mandate to do the kind of work that you guys do at the uh, TDA.
3: Well, I'm, I'm going to brag on our, our DPS. They've actually done a real good job since uh, Governor Perry put in uh, uh, you know, uh, the operation in 2006. Uh, as of 2012, my last year in the Texas House, we saw uh, illegal drugs coming into our country drop 60%. And illegal immigration dropped 50%. So they've done a lot of good work. We're not there yet. Uh, since then, in, in, the, in the last three years, the legislature has put more resources on the border. And, and, and uh, probably if you get those new numbers, they're going to be a lot better than that, I would suspect. So I think we're doing a good job. Uh, one of the things that happened uh, when I was chairman of Homeland Security, uh, when, the, when the Fed saw what a good job we were doing, they said, you know what? We appreciate y'all doing that, but uh, you obviously don't need as many border patrol there, so we're going to take them out of Texas and send them to Arizona and California and, and New Mexico. So mm. you know, that's a reward you get, and less help. So very frustrating at times.
2: Well, let's get back on the election uh, real quick. You know, you were drafted uh, by one of the biggest political movements since ronald reagan uh because of all the work you've done here in the state of texas in agriculture uh you know you've gotten a lot of flack for your current affiliation but but uh why don't you go ahead and tell us why you think this election is so important and talk a little bit too sir about why uh you know you think maybe political correctness uh you know is fighting our cutting off our nose to spite our face is a problem right now and why we need to focus more on the uh, the big issues go ahead
3: well, if you know anything about my public service, I've never really been politically correct. I just, I'll do what's right, no matter what it costs me. I really don't care. I want to do what's right for America. I want to do what's right, right for Texas, and and that's why. And I don't want to criticize my colleagues; they have the reasons. But uh, basically, I'm maybe one more statewide official has been really out front uh, on the Trump uh, ticket. You know, helping and, and being vocal. You know, I've been on dozens and dozens of radio shows. Uh, Fox News three or four times. Uh, you can hear about me on Rush Limbaugh. Hey, you can hear Donald Trump talks about many speeches. So we're out there. We're working hard. Uh, you know we're going to run this right down to uh, right down to the wire. And here's why it's important. And I, I can talk about ag culture, but this applies to anyone. It's the Supreme Court for ag culture. We lose the Supreme Court. We lose every case that goes up there for agriculture. culture. We we lose. Uh, Copyrights cases. We lose eminent domain race, uh, uh, cases. We lose on uh, Second Amendment right uh, cases. We lose. In the same, same way for the public, we, we lose on uh, right to life issues. We lose on any, any issue we got up there. If that court stacked liberal, we lose. So that's really, really, really important.
1: All right, and we're talking with our Texas Agriculture Commissioner Sid Miller. We also have in studio Mark Miller. Also holding on the phone, we have Madge Torre. Black guns matter. We're talking about this. We're talking about the terror threat, about the what the governor said on Friday. But you know what I say? This is Texas. Our guns have guns. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It.
3: This is Doug Du Bois, Jr., Executive Director of the Texas State Rifle Association. You're listening to Michael Cargill and Come and Talk It Radio.
0: Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now, here's Michael Cargill.
4: That's
1: right. We're talking about the terror threat. We're talking about Election Day. We have on the phone Texas Agricultural Commissioner Sid Miller. Also inside the studio, we have the Libertarian candidate running for Railroad Commission, Mark Miller. And on the phone holding on, we have Maj Teray. Black Guns Matter. And then also my, my correspondent in Washington, D.C., the associate editor from The Daily Caller, John Griffin. So, John, we were talking with uh, Commissioner Sid. Sid Miller, the Texas Ag Commissioner, and he had a couple more questions for him.
2: Well, yeah, I, I wanted to ask mainly this, and, and I, I know we're spending a lot of time on the elections because we're two, we're two days short, but uh, Sid, it's my feeling that this that this is a make-or-break election, that America's in a state of emergency, and that this isn't so much about whether Trump is the perfect savior, an argument which is, to me, problematic from from a moral and constitutional standpoint, but more about, this election is more about what Hillary is and what she's capable of, and uh, what, what a dangerous thing that is at this unique time and place in history. What are your thoughts about this election generally, Sid? Do you think that, how important do you think it is that Texans show up on Tuesday. Well,
3: you know, everybody says that, that uh, Texas is going to be close. You know, the chance to turn turn it back to the Democrats, and, and uh, you know, we don't need a close election. We, we need to win it, and we need to win it big. Otherwise, they will think that they have a chance. The next election comes around, and then here, here we go. Then we've got all that to deal with, and we, we don't need that. I, I think this election is, uh, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton. You know. Everybody wants me to apologize for, for my outrageous posts and what. You know, and, and when I make a mistake, I own it, and I apologize for it. But you know what I'd like to hear an apology for is letting four Americans die in Benghazi. I'd like to have an apology yes, for losing six $6 billion while she was running the State Department. I'd like to hear an apology for using her uh, private foundation as a you know pay-to-play operation. There's about a 100 other yes. things I'd like to hear an apology for that I've never heard. Uh, yes. So it's just business is corruption, and, and uh, you know, that's not the path that we need to take America down. Now, Donald Trump, he's like me. He's got a few warts, but, you know, God can use uh, uh, imperfect people. You know, Moses was a murderer, and, and uh, Paul was a—he stoned and killed Christians, and David was a 14-year-old boy he picked up to, to whoop a nine-foot Goliath, you know, the giant. So he doesn't always use pretty people. But uh, God can use uh, uh, Donald Trump to run this country, believe me.
2: Sid I, I agree with you, sir in fact uh, it's interesting you should use scripture there, uh, use the Bible as a reference um, i I feel the same way in fact, I would modify your statement this way. I think God only uses imperfect people in my experience. I have never seen God or if you don 't believe in God, just uh, you know for those those listeners who may not believe in God if someone Uh, Is going to have a big impact. Usually, there's someone with a lot of glaring imperfections. And uh, that's what we need to get past, Sid, if if you ask me. It's this sensitive uh, sensitivity, uh, you know, getting offended, uh, you know, uh, this idea that uh, we can't ever hear anything we disagree with without running away, kicking and screaming. That's got to stop.
3: Oh, absolutely! You know, I'm just to encourage everybody to get out there and, and don't sit at home. My goodness, uh, you're the person to blame if you don't take part in this election. Get out there and, and vote. Vote your country. Let's 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 make America great again. We don't win anymore. Uh, let's make America safe again. Let's make put America back to work again. Uh, let, let's make America great again. I, I'm I'm all for it, and uh, I'm doing everything in my power to see that that happens.
1: All right. Thank you very much. Uh, That was our Texas Agricultural Commissioner, Sid Miller. And I I tell you, sir, thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule this weekend because it's it's an uh, election. You know, we're last weekend before Election Day and a lot of campaigning is going on. So I really appreciate you coming on the show today.
3: Anytime, guys. Thank you. Y'all are all great Americans over there. We appreciate what you do.
1: All right, sir. And you have a wonderful rest of your weekend.
3: Thank
0: you.
1: All right, so now let me bring into the conversation Maj Tore, uh Black Guns Matter. So Maj, welcome to Come and Talk It, sir.
4: Hey, hi glad for uh being here. Thank you for having me.
1: Absolutely. Now you're out of uh Philadelphia, is that correct? Yes. All right, so Maj, how did you get involved in, you know, Black Guns Matter and, and actually what does that mean?
4: Well, Black Guns Matter, we're a firearm safety and training organization. We go to uh high crime areas especially places that have uh, very restrictive uh, gun control laws and we just inform people on a grassroots level about their second amendment rights as well as basic firearm uh, safety and training so that's what we are as an organization
1: okay and then you know so what brought you to the point that you know you're 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 really pushing this organization black guns matter uh, so mm-hmm. does it really matter
4: yeah it matters a lot it matters because you know Your firearm, the Second Second Amendment, is the way that you defend all of your other rights. People that don't, can't defend their rights, actually don't have any. So, you know, the Second Amendment being critical in that area uh, because, you know, my black gun, my AR-15, my Glocks, my HK, those firearms do matter on a very serious level because whatever my belief systems are, in order to, you know, make sure that those rights, you know, or beliefs aren't infringed on, we have to have something to defend those. And that's where firearms knowledge, training, and education comes, you know, and plays a critical part.
1: Okay. Now, a lot of people... Or you know kind of correlate that with you know the black community so is black Mm -hmm. guns matter related to the black community at all
4: well yeah I mean obviously because the urban demographic is the primary place where there's the highest levels of uh, people control laws And and I say that you know to be somewhat sarcastic because it's not about gun control it's about people control and the highest areas where those happen are places like Chicago uh, and no. clearly, those laws aren't working. You know, and it happens to be a lot of black people there, not limited to. Our organization isn't limited to black people, but it's if it's in an urban environment, especially in you know those high crime areas, black people are you know disproportionately affected by that. But as far as the type of gun that matters is, you know, I'm a I'm a personal you know I'm a, again I'm a Glock guy, so you know it, it definitely matters, um, and that's why we have to make sure that we're concentrating on urban environments. You know. Um, we have to make sure that, you know, poor people, poor white people, poor black people, poor Asian people, poor Spanish people are uh, participating in their uh, and exercising their human right to self-defense via the Second Amendment. So absolutely, uh, black people are directly related to this, just like every other race or group is directly related to Black Guns Matter.
1: All right. So do you support um, constitutional carrying?
4: Absolutely. Um, shout out to Missouri, who just you know uh, I've never been there, but shouts to them for just becoming the eleventh you know constitutional carry state. Absolutely, I, I support constitutional carry because I you know the Constitution says shall not be infringed. You know that's, that was kind of like you know those guys are uh, you know pretty smart when they wrote it. You know, but um, absolutely, I support constitutional carry. And and
1: and you do know that you know where gun control actually came from,
4: I'm sure. Well, yeah, right out of, uh, you know, emancipation or, you know, newly freed people of African descent. And that's the thing that I try to express. When people say, you know, they hear, well, Black Guns Matter is just an all black organization. No. Um, we are, you know, disproportionately affected by that because black, you know, uh, people being, you know, uh, fighting for their freedom in America. That's where all gun control laws come from, you know, and some of my white friends, you know, initially it may have not have been a problem for you guys, but now it's starting to look like not only has it affected or have been created for black people, but now the, there's an attempt to try to, you know, de the American population, regardless of which your race is, you know, and I, I kind of make sure that I ex- express that point tremendously because we can get caught up in the word black and ignore the actual word that's right after it, which is guns. And we can play this race card thing like like a lot of people try to pigeonhole us into. But the people that are coming to try to attack the Second Amendment don't care what your race is. If you're an American citizen, you need to exercise your human right, your God-given right, to defend yourself via the Second Amendment. And, uh, you know, it it, it, all gun control laws. There's a great book called Negroes and the Gun uh, that deals with that. But all gun control laws, that's why I call it a sham. It was, you know, directly after, you know, people of African descent were, you know, fought for their, you know, uh, freedom. In America, we have, you know, that's a part of our history as well. So, you know, certain white males at that time decided to come up with laws to restrict uh, firearms specifically towards black people. And then it's expanded over time, you know. So we got to know that history we got, especially in the black community, but again, not limited to. So all of that goes part and parcel with uh, what we're trying, what we're doing in our 13 city tour that we're on now, where we're you know just going to where the highest crimes, we're going to the hood, we're going to urban areas where we're showing that you know these people in gun control laws, a, do not work, and b, you don't inform people, you know, and train them to be great citizens by just giving them more restrictive laws. The bad guys don't, and the bad girls don't care about the laws. That's why the crime rate is still high in those areas. You just hamstringing the good people from protecting themselves and we're not going to allow it anymore at black guns matter that's right Hey, Moz, this is uh this is aaron i work
1: with the hold on just one sec sure. all right go ahead, all right, go ahead yeah
4: there you go hey Moz, how are you doing uh my name's yeah. aaron i work with michael on the show and i've seen some of your videos and i really enjoy them but uh that's something that i feel is kind of lacking in some of those communities that i hear you um bring up a lot is a lot of people have this perception that the only ones who want to defend the second amendment are like hicks in the south when really right. i mean just like you've expressed rights belong to everyone and it's important mm-hmm. that you know them or you can't defend them right so, and if they can if they can make you think that you're not a part of it or are totally unaware of it you it's, it's not it's not real to you it's no value so if it's no value to you you know what does it matter if somebody says hey you know you shouldn't have a gun if you're conditioned a certain way that you think only the bad guys or you know law enforcement has the firearm then you'll agree with that but that's not true you know so it's very important that we you know i'm a patriot i'm from the hood i'm from north philly i'm a patriot i fight tyranny I fight injustice. I fight, you know, corrupt police officers. I fight corrupt criminals from my community that aren't police officers, you know, and that's what patriotism and, and fighting tyranny and, and, and life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is all about. So we got to rechange and rebrand what, you know, people from the past may have presented as what a patriot is. We have to rebrand that because. All of our rights are caught up in our ability or lack of ability to defend those rights and if a person comes it's like, it's like the zombie apocalypse if you're gathering supplies and you know for your your home and if you do not have a firearm to defend them, you're just gathering supplies for the tough guys or the bad guys to come take them from you you know so these freedoms that we enjoy and liberties and 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 even if we disagree and argue and fight. That discourse, that ability to have the freedom to even disagree to that extent has to be defended by the people, not the corporation, not the police. It's the people. And so we, you know, we're just reconditioning people back to those principles, which are very key as as we're seeing, you know, with certain things that are happening around the country, especially this year.
1: All right. And John Griffin, the associate editor of The Daily Caller, Caller, has a question for you. Go ahead, John.
2: Yes, sir. Hey, thanks for coming on the show. I really uh, appreciate what you're doing in your community. Uh, Here's my issue, and I'll start by saying that data from the Department of Justice shows that for every time a gun is used in the commission of a violent crime, it's used three times in self-defense. That's a number that doesn't get covered very much by the mainstream media. What do you think about that? Aren't guns used more to protect people than they're used to commit crimes?
4: They are. But if you you have a narrative that you're trying to trick the general public, you kind of can't say that because that fact exposes your, you know, your fake narrative. So it's no different than, you know, uh, certain TV shows will be on TV for a long time because, ooh, this is salacious and tantalizing and it's sensationalized. You know, it's, right. they say an ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure. But if I'm in the business of selling cure, I can't even show you the prevention because I prevented it. It didn't. You you can't even you damn near can't even see it. So it's nothing sexy about that. So that's what's right. happening with a lot of those stats. And a lot of times the stat game, just in and of itself, it's like you know the, the stats are going along with what the narrative is. It's no different than you know we hear the term black on black crime tossed around a lot. But crime is about, or even gun violence violence is violence. More people get stabbed than anything, you know, or whatever. You yes. know, the point that I'm making there is, they play this stat game or this name game to condition the general public, and it's actually very insulting. Because you're yes. only doing this to express a narrative as opposed to giving the people the truth. You know, so they play these things. They say black on black crime, which is crime is about proximity. If I live in Beverly Hills and my neighbors happen to be all Arab or Asian, when we fight each other and somebody reports that, you don't hear the stat Asian on Asian crime. You know, so they they play these little stat games. They play these little word games to to trick black, white, Spanish, uh, Asian, America, the masses, to trick them into uh, being very divided and fight each other as opposed to organizing as we the people and looking at that little 1% of the population that's trying to, you know, hoard the lion's share of all of the resources by keeping everybody else confused. So I see it. I mean, that can be beat with a little bit of knowledge itself and, you know, a little understanding of how things are marketed and branded and how, you know, uh, certain portions of the media are designed to do that, and you can be that real quick. And again, all of that is you know things that we address and deal with at Black Guns Matter. We go through the holistic component. It's not just about you coming in here and learning how just to you know uh, shoot a firearm or secure a firearm. It's also about conflict resolution. It's also about philosophically what does the Second Amendment mean to me as an American citizen. Philosophically, yes. how can we you know train. Uh, young people that would have felt, you know, disenfranchised about their human and constitutional rights. How can we share with them how they have a part of that American dream? All
1: right, know? we're talking with Maj Teray. Black Guns Matter. We also have in studio Mark Miller, the Libertarian Candidate for Railroad Commission. On the phone, we have John Griffin, the associate editor of The Daily Caller. The governor said that, hey, there is a terroristic threat. The FBI confirms this. Mike Cargill says this is Texas. Our guns have guns. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talking.
2: Brittany Glaze, and I get my global gun news from Michael Cargill on Come and Talk It.
0: More coming. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill.
1: All right, so we have on the phone, Maj Touré, Black Guns Matter. And we also have in studio, Mark Miller, Libertarian candidate for Railroad Commission. So, you know, Maj, you know, I got to get you to Texas. I I am the executive director of an organization called Texans for Accountable Government. And Mm -hmm. I really need to get you to Texas because I want you to talk to this organization. Because, man, I love everything that you're saying.
4: Sure. Thank you. Yeah, I'm down. Set it up. I'm, I'm, I y'all like Texas. Y'all got a good barbecue.
1: <laughs> All right. But hold on there. Hold on a second. I'm going to come back to you. Uh, let me change gears here and, and switch to Mark Miller, the Libertarian candidate who's running for Texas Railroad Commission. Uh, Mark, welcome to the Come and Talk It, sir. Thank you, Michael. All right. So, Mark, tell me, uh, you're running for Texas Railroad Commission
5: and you also used to be. Well, tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, I'm running for Railroad Commission, but I don't know very much about railroads. I'm (laughs) uh, I'm a a petroleum engineer, have been for over 40 years, um, have a Ph.D. in petroleum engineering, worked in industry, taught at UT Austin right down the road here. So you're actually Dr. Mark Miller. Uh, My mother is usually the only one that called me doctor. (laughs) I think she liked having a doctor in the family. Um, But the reality is the Railroad Commission uh, doesn't regulate railroads any longer. It did 125 years ago. It no longer regulates railroads at all in Texas, uh, but it does regulate the state's so extremely important oil and gas industry, and has for a very long time. And uh, so that's that's part of the weird thing about running for this office is that um, I've got all the experience to be. Something other than railroad commissioner, but it's it's uh, you know it's the experience that's needed for that particular uh, commission. So it's important that people understand this really is about oil and gas. Extremely important for people to know that they have some other responsibilities around pipeline safety, as well as uh, some authority over uh, mining operations of coal and uranium in the state. But but really, it's about oil and gas. Really, is our state's most important uh, industry.
1: Now, what are some things that you would want to change
5: uh, your day one in when you walked in the door there? Well, the biggest the biggest thing is, uh, you know, it's it's uh, cronyism at its worst at the Railroad Commission. Uh, the Railroad Commission is an openly avowed champion of oil and gas, as well as its regulator. And those of us that know anything about government know that regulatory capture is a real problem, even under the best of circumstances. But when the commissioners openly admit that they have a dual role, uh, this is a problem, and it's a problem of transparency. Uh, and it's a problem that really we need the commissioners to put some distance between themselves and the industry. Some of that's statutory, but some of it could start with the right kind of commissioners who just say, look, it's not our job to promote business. I'm a libertarian. I believe in free markets, but that means business stays out of the markets. And so, um, excuse me, that government stays out of the markets, not business. Um, and so government doesn't have any role, in my view, about promoting any industry, solar, wind, Or oil and gas so that would be the biggest thing Uh, the legislature is uh, going to be considering whether to change the name again Uh, that's something i would promote obviously the railroad commission cannot change its name by itself so that's an important part uh i've also been promoting uh uh, uh, better focus on surface rights. Uh, there's some really some property rights issues that are at the center of what the Railroad Commission does, uh, especially with urban drilling uh, being more and more prominent in the state. And there's some really important issues that the Railroad Commission has really kind of been slow to address. And the last thing is regulatory reform. You know, most uh, libertarians want to do with away with regulations, want to do away with regulating agencies. Uh, I think uh, that's not going to happen anytime soon, but we can certainly start to reform things. And the first thing I would do is propose uh, you know, a, a sunset review policy. The, state, the Railroad Commission has been regulating oil and gas for decades. Uh, a lot of its regulations are really old and outdated. Some of them probably aren't necessary any longer. And so uh, a kind of review policy would be the other thing I'd engage in pretty quickly. All right. Go ahead. John Griffin, the associate editor for The Daily Caller.
2: Hey, Mark. How are you today?
5: Hey, John. Pretty good.
2: Uh, I just wanted to tell you to start here uh, I, uh, I actually worked with Barry Smitherman uh who was uh, a railroad commissioner a while back chairman uh, formerly and I got to tell you um with Texas as the chief supplier of oil and natural gas to the rest of the United States now and with unprecedented uh, exports uh, outside the country since we lifted the ban on oil and natural gas. I mean, I, I don't see much of a problem with Texas oil and, and natural gas productivity. Uh, again, I'm I'm throwing rocks from the outside, so I I don't have access to the wealth of information and expertise you have. But I just like to ask you, why do we need a libertarian ticket to do? Uh, To do these things. I mean, uh, it seems to me like uh, the people in charge have have given our our energy sector uh, quite a bit of leeway.
5: They have. uh, But what we find around the state is uh, uh, a lot of people are really ticked off at the Railroad Commission. There's some issues mm-hmm. around eminent domain, around the earthquakes caused by wastewater injection, around the urban drilling. Uh, these are people that are generally pretty conservative folks. Uh, I, I, when I talk to people, I hear this a lot. I don't, I'm not against oil and gas. I'm a conservative. I've been a Republican my whole life. But – and so there's a lot of issues. As our shale resources grow, these conflicts are going to get greater and greater. And if we need to on protect oil mark, and gas industry, we're going to be in trouble.
2: I don't want to interrupt you, but I do want to maximize your time with us. Sure. Uh, On one of those, you mentioned property, for example. Property. Uh, You mentioned uh, that there were some property issues. Talk about that.
5: Well, in Texas, uh, when uh, we, we allow the severing of mineral and surface rights, as most states do, and uh, the other the problem in Texas is if you don't own the mineral rights under your property, uh, you have no rights to control what they do with the oil and gas. In other words, you can't even stop them from coming on your property. And um, there is a, a an automatic conflict between. There's really sort of three parties involved, right? The mineral rights owner who's in the subsurface, the company who does the leasing, the oil company, and the surface rights owner, who certainly has the quiet, the right to the quiet enjoyment of their property. Yet, the surface uh-huh. rights have really been left out of the calculation. They've been left out of the equation. And this is what people are really ticked off about. Right. Right.
2: and how would you propose
5: fixing that that's a that's you know that's a it's a real problem and uh, one of the things we've got to do is is make sure that the surface owners are somehow part of the negotiation and part of the process frankly I've got a few ideas but i I'd I'd really rather get a whole bunch of us in a room and start talking about it because I don't think it's an easy problem to solve. You know, three-way negotiations are uh, a little tricky, as you might imagine. And um, so I I think there's some statutes, though, that we might think about that would – at least give the surface owners a little more power, a little more ability to get some compensation, maybe some uh, per diem payments while they're drilling on your property or some sort of uh, increased protections for those surface rights. All right. Then, hey, Mark, so um, you also – you worked on the staff
1: at the University of Texas, correct? I did. I taught for 18 years, uh, petroleum engineering All right, so you're faculty. Very qualified and taken on this job. Um, so w-
5: what name would you suggest they change it to instead of Railroad Commission? The uh, Texas uh, Sunset Commission staff, we have a Sunset Commission in Texas. Uh, they're doing a review right now. The staff has recommended the Texas Energy Resources Commission, and that's the name that I have supported Uh, The decision on uh, making the final uh, recommendation to the legislature is actually going to happen on Thursday. The uh, Sunset Commission is meeting. Oh, my God. That's after the election. Yeah. Isn't that mm -hmm. convenient? And that's very convenient. (laughs) Um, uh, But it's up to the legislature. It's obviously up to the legislature. They've tried to change the name before. Uh, It's actually been Republican bills that have tried to change the name. Um, and uh, we'll just have to see what happens in the legislature come January. Now, what are your thoughts on fracking? Because that's uh, another thing that that comes up when it, we talk about the Railroad Commission. You bet. I, I'm not against fracking. I think a lot of the fears of fracking are way overblown, uh, mostly about people that don't understand the process. But they, they cause ha- earthquakes. No, they don't. <laughs> um, and this is a misnomer, although the hardcore will tell you, But and what causes earthquakes is uh, a few of the what we call wastewater injection wells that inject in just the right circumstances that can cause earthquakes. Oklahoma's had some very severe problems. Fortunately for us in Texas, they've been minor and in a few isolated places. Uh, we've got 7,500 of those wells around the state. A handful look like they might have caused some earthquakes. Uh, but it's an easily fixed problem. You can inject the water in other places. There's other th- things you can do. But it's, it's not the fracking. Now, the, the hardcore environmentalists will say, yeah, but if you weren't fracking the wells, you wouldn't be producing the water. And I said, yeah. I said, if you weren't, if you weren't driving your car, we wouldn't be producing the water either. So, <laughs> um, uh, you know, that's just a specious argument. And it can be solved. I tell you, you know, you know Mark,
1: I, I think even God loves you because there's a rainbow outside right now uh, just hovering <laughs> over Austin right Maybe now. Maybe that bodes well for <laughs> so November 8th. As, we'll you're drive, as you're driving on I-35 and you're, you're going through downtown Austin, just look up and, you know, Mark Miller, the Libertarian candidate for Railroad Commission, he's, God has, has shown the way. There's a rainbow. <laughs> All right. So um, now, because some people also say when it comes to fracking, that it also poisons the water.
5: Yeah, in, in fact, what's really interesting is the EPA has concluded just the opposite, and yeah. the EPA is hardly a, a conservative organization. Um, there, Of course, we have to protect groundwaters. There are some places of vulnerability where wells traverse through groundwater to go deeper, but the reality is, is that there have been a few very rare cases – Look, no industrial activity is without some risk. Uh, and, and again, it's a problem we know how to fix. Usually it's a mistake or sometimes a bad actor when it happens. But that's really uh, not the issue. All right. Uh, John Griffin, go ahead.
2: Mark, uh, on that note, uh, I just published a piece at Daily Caller, one of my reporters, uh, and Steve Payne runs, he's a, an ex-Bush advisor, runs an LNG outfit in Houston, and uh, just a just a wealth of facts and information on oil and natural gas. He told me that uh, we actually produce 4,500 to 5,000 barrels a day more from fracking than we would have with the, the uh, Keystone Pipeline. Is that true?
5: Yeah, it is. We've produced uh, Texas production, really due to fracking, went from uh, less than 5 million a day to almost 10. And um, so it's a lot, there's a lot of oil that's being produced. From the shales, and we're just getting started. Uh, the only reason it slowed down is because the price dropped, I- i.e., we were right. successful. That's what happens <laughs> in uh, markets. When you produce stuff at a reasonable cost and you produce enough of it, prices drop. Uh, this is not a permanent problem. Uh, the prices will be back. In fact, costs are going to be lower. So it's only a matter of time before we get back up on that, on that uh, trajectory again. But yes, well, there's a well, lot me. of. It. Go ahead.
2: To me, that's good news,
5: Mark. To to the average American or average Texan, having
2: uh, more oil produced per day than the Keystone Pipeline would have allowed us to produce, that's good news. And we're not even hurting the environment. I hope you can get that message broader and louder.
5: Well, I'm trying to get that message out. Um, Part of the problem is people are distrustful of that message, uh, particularly from a place like the Railroad Commission, which is seen as kind of an arm of the oil and gas industry. And so when you talk to ordinary Texans, uh, i.e. those not in the oil business, they just don't believe you. And so, uh, uh, you know, we're trying to get a message out of, look, these problems can be dealt with. We need to recognize that they must be dealt with and have been dealt with. But let's not do the he said, she said game. Let's really talk about these issues in a reasonable, rational way. I've had a lot of Democrats tell me they're voting for me, um, uh, mo- somewhat because they're, their candidate's so bad, but also because they understand that oil and gas is not going away in Texas. And if we can do it responsibly, the state will be a much better place to be.
2: That's true, Mark. In fact, even President Obama – has said uh, that people who are against fracking are, are crazy. So,
5: <laughs> And I'm paraphrasing. Yeah, I don't think but, he used uh, those I mean, words, yeah. did he? <laughs>
2: he didn't he, the word crazy may not be the, the right word but he uh he was essentially referring to the efforts by a lot of hollywood folks and um and just you know uh, never frackers we'll call them yeah uh, who essentially didn't know a lick about the science behind it or the uh the just the facts and so i found it really interesting that even president obama who is whose rhetoric is not the most friendly to energy
5: but we we, um, we have to acknowledge to people we fracking. have to acknowledge people's fears you know we the word the idea, you know, it's gotten talked up such that we really do have to acknowledge people's fears so that we can have a dialogue. Otherwise, we're just talking to, uh, you know, crossways from each other.
1: Sure. All right. When we come back from the break, I'm going to ask Maj uh, about this coming election, because some people said that black people who vote Republican are the F word in the head. Can't say it on the radio. And then I'm also going to ask him about the 2A the community because he says that the 2A community will die without the support of the hood. So we're going to find out what that actually means. We're talking with Maj Torre, Black Guns Matter. We're talking with Mark Miller, Libertarian candidate for Railroad Commission. Also, we're talking with John Griffin, associate editor of The Daily Caller. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talkin'. Yo, what's going on, guys? It's Chad Jones here, and I get my gun news from Michael Cargill on Come and Talk It.
0: Welcome back to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. We're talking all things firearms. Now, here's Michael Cargill.
1: Now it's time for GGN, Global Gun News. Global Gun News, sponsored by Central Texas Gunworks the largest online gun store in Texas. In the news... Damn, son. Late last month, a woman was able to defend herself and her estranged daughter-in-law from a vicious attack. Unfortunately, the mother was forced to defend herself from her own child. After Vincent Jones was released from a federal penitentiary, he returned to his home in Barnwell, South Carolina, where he told his mother, Betty Ann Newton, about plans to kill his estranged wife and mother of his children. After that, he claimed he would burn his mother's home down. Newton absolutely believed his threats, and she warned Jones' estranged wife of the impending attack. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem to have been taken very seriously, since they still had some contact. The wife, who also lived down the street from the mother, was later attacked by Jones. She had pulled into the driveway where Jones then got into the back seat of her vehicle and started pummeling her with a hammer. Jones's mother saw the attack and grabbed her firearm. She ran to stop Jones from killing his ex-wife, but as soon as he saw her, Jones went to attack his mother as well. Now, she was forced to defend herself and shot him in the abdomen. He was airlifted to a hospital and is being held on charges of attempted murder. The mother is without injury, and the wife has since been released from the hospital after sustaining multiple hits to the head and body. The mother will face no charges. South Carolina Committee A public hearing took place last week in the capital of South Carolina, On the topic of gun laws and gun violence, a special committee was formed and met a total of four times to discuss the possibility of implementing more gun laws. Powerful emotional testimonies were given as well as testimonies that provided empirical data. Including a testimony from a man who explained the origin of gun laws. Slaves and free Negroes are prohibited to keep or carry any flintlock of any kind, any military weapon or any powder or lead. Any Negro presumed to be in possession shall be whipped with 21 lashes or shot. This was a common sense gun law, one of the first in America, that was in place to keep my ancestors unarmed and defenseless at the same time the Second Amendment guaranteed the right to keep and bear arms for whites in this country. Gun laws are rooted in racism. Democratic Senator Marlon Kempson, who sits on the committee, has a history with the so-called Charleston loophole that was brought up during the hearing. Now, last session, he sponsored a bill that would expand The waiting period of a firearm purchase from three days to 28 days, specifically to address the terrible shooting that occurred at the hands of a 20 year old killer in a church just last year. Now, that bill did not pass, but the senator vows that this upcoming session, he will submit another bill that would institute universal background checks. His belief is that these new laws would have stopped the shooter in the church. Breaking records in October. Now, Nick's background checks are still breaking records for not only October, but for 2016 in total. So far, Americans have almost reached the previous record for all of last year in just 10 months. This year, we're on track for even higher numbers, and with November and December being historically the months with the most checks it would be a surprise if we didn't totally shatter the record. Now it's difficult to accurately compare the relationship with background checks versus an actual private ownership count, but the tally is certainly high and climbing. It's estimated that every individual NICS check equals about 0.6 of a firearm added to a personal collection. If this trend is to continue until the end of this year, the total number of checks will be 29.2 million equaling about 17.5 million more firearms added to personal collections, which would bring America's total known personal collections to just over 400 million. Just to remind you again, the U S is experiencing a 50 year low in the homicide rate, regardless of what the Democrats tell you. Now, of course, Correlation certainly doesn't necessarily equal causation, but it certainly shows that the increase in guns doesn't equate to a climb in the homicide rate. Springfield's Saint? If you haven't been avoiding the election by turning off your computer and ignoring social media for the past couple of weeks, and you follow Facebook, YouTube, or other outlets about firearms, you've probably seen the latest addition to the AR-15 family, Springfield Army, which in the past has largely stayed out of the market of the most popular rifle in America, has finally put its foot in.
3: On November 1st, Springfield Armor will
1: introduce the first gun in a completely new line of firearms designed for people who are ready for the challenge. The release of the Saint AR-15 has been receiving mostly positive reviews across the board from being a quality, reliable, well-equipped, and affordable weapon. Coming in at an MSRP of $899 with Bravo Company Furniture and Springfield's nickel nickel-borne Coating Trigger and heat shielding beneath the handguard. Now, some of the individuals who have reviewed the rifle with positive impressions are Rob Pincus, Koleon Nyor, and Jared Wingo. So far, a lot of people seem to think the rifle accomplishes what it's set out to be. But we won't know for sure until Springfield decides to send one to Central Texas Gunworks for us to try out. And that is your Global Gun News Report for the Election Week 2016.
0: Welcome back to Come and Talk It, and now here's Michael Cargill.
1: All right, so, man, this has been a packed lineup. we got a lot of good people we're listening to today. Uh, I do have a, another question for Mark Miller, Libertarian candidate for Railroad
5: Commission. Uh, Mark, um, who, who's endorsed you so far? Uh, thanks for teeing that one up, Michael. Um, I have been endorsed by all four of the state's largest newspapers, Dallas Morning News, Houston Chronicle, fort worth star telegram and the san antonio express news also by the caller uh, times and corpus christi so i've been endorsed by uh, five of the largest uh, newspapers in texas uh, neither the republican or democrat or green party candidates have gotten a single endorsement uh, so something i'm very proud of because it's something libertarians don't always get is the attention of uh, of major newspapers Wow, that, that means and that really means a lot. Right uh, it that. means a lot, regardless of how the vote turns out on Tuesday. All right. of that means a lot because it means that these newspapers recognize that our libertarian perspective is something they ought to look at. Right, and, and it's starting to mean something. It's starting to mean this, something, yes. and, and I, I, my hope is that it bodes well for uh, for we libertarians in the future that the newspapers will take a second look and actually listen to us a little bit.
1: Okay. Now let me bring Maj back into the conversation. Um, So Maj, tell me, uh, someone said that, hey, black people who vote Republican are screwed up in the head. (laughs) Is this true?
4: No, it's not. I've been a registered Republican for uh, most of my adult life um, because I actually know what the word means. America is not a democracy. America is a republic. It says it in the actual pledge and to the republic for which it stands. So I think um, a lot of those people don't have a better, a a decent understanding of history. They don't understand, you know, organizations like, let's say the Ku Klux Klan was a democratic organization. Um, A lot of times they don't know that uh, maybe Dr. King was a Republican, you know. So those guys and no one, everyone has uh, an understanding of, you know, Dr. King's commitment to the people, Generally, you know what I mean? So I think a lot of those people that say that, one, if they're from the Democratic Party, they don't want to be responsible for some of the policies that for damn near 60 years, I mean, if we want to pick a number, you know, some of those principles and policies have been very, you know, catastrophic to the urban community. Um, So they don't want to deal with that, as well as um, they don't also at the same time may not know what the word republic actually means. We, you know, are we come to uh, we we are our own sovereign entities based on respect for the republic. But we process through the democratic process, you know, so. When people say things like that, you know, it's more that sensationalism. It's more of the, you know, oh, you can't first and foremost, you can't tell me what I can do. And even if I have been a Republican for however long, that doesn't mean that I vote Republican with every single thing or just go with my party just because of that. It's called independent thought, evaluating a candidate seeing what his or her track record is for things that you are, you know, uh, in favor of or against and making the decisions based on those things and what are their new policies that they're presenting. That's how you, you know, fully, uh, you know, exercise the process, candidate to candidate, choice to choice, uh, opportunity to opportunity. So, no, I don't think that because I'm a Republican and and I speak from my hood that somehow I'm I'm effed up in the head. And, And people that think like that, you know, A lot of times they're they're very um, overt and sometimes covertly racist, in my opinion.
1: Now, what do you say to those people that say, hey, well, at one time, the people that are Democrat now were Republican back then. There was a switch.
4: Well, they say that. And, uh, and, uh, and, you know, I mean, if we want to do that, a lot of times when I say that to those people, they say, "Okay, it was a switch. This America is still a republic, regardless of what your switch was. That's one. Or the thing that they try to say, and his accurate. To be perfectly honest, that's accurate. That's kind of not. That's kind of inaccurate. Um, that's just a, the running theme that people will say, just to you know, with no actual thing behind it. Even regardless, Democrat, Republican, Independent, Green Party. The reality is power should be in the hands of the people, and they should be fully aware to choose whichever political party they choose to, and make uh, intelligent decisions based on the choices of the matters at hand. That's how we had this whole system of balances, you know, checks and balances and things like that, and and well-rounded citizens. You know, We're talking about civics. We're talking about someone choosing to say, hey, the Libertarian Party may seem to make a little bit more sense to me. If it works for you, great. That's the beauty of freedom of choice you know and that also does not mean that you're pigeonholed into just going straight with that party all of the time just because of a mob or gang mentality Uh, so a lot of times when people say those things uh, you know they're not really historically accurate and that still does not change the simple fact that you have the right to choose regardless of whatever party you may mostly align yourself with philosophically if a candidate from a different background Uh, has something that is in opposition to what your politic is or in favor of what your politic is, you have the right to choose that. Um, You know, I'm a Second Amendment guy, so if I'm black, does that mean I'm supposed to just go with Hillary, who's clearly not in support of the Second Amendment? No, I have the right to not do that, and I won't do that. You know, so regardless of uh, what my race is, you know, and that's why I say some of that, that, you know, it's, it's racist and biased and bigoted, and limited because that's in essence telling someone they don't have the right to be an independent thinker and that's wrong.
1: And the problems that we we have is that, you know, in these communities uh, in that that are having a lot of problems, mm-hmm. Democrats are the ones that are in leadership roles. You know, here we yeah. are, you know, in my community here in Austin, Texas, you know, they're you know, people complain about, you know, police accountability. <laughs> Uh, well, you have a, a Democratic elected, you have a Democrat who's the sheriff, you have a Democrat who's the the D.A., you have a Democrat who is the city council, uh, who's elected, you know, who's actually hiring the police chief. You know, all these people in this whole system are Democrats. So if they're the problem, if I'm in Chicago and those people that are not doing anything to help my community are Democrats, In elected in all the different levels of the government of that city, they're the ones, if they're in that position, then you know what? If you're electing the same people over and over and over again, we call that insanity. And you're expecting different results. That's insanity.
4: Most people in those demographics that haven't exposed to, you know, just like what we do at Black Guns Matter, we expose people to the information that's been hidden from them or deliberately, you know, misinformed. With that being the case, if you have the thought process that, okay, this is supposed to go this way because this is what I was told, you're voting out of fear or tradition. Oh, I want to vote for this person because I don't want this person to get in. That's fear. No. That is not an intelligent political process. Or, well, my mom voted Democrat, my dad voted, or my or my mom voted Republican, Which one, whichever one it is. Either one. Is unintelligent when you're not factoring in the actual policies, whether what happened before and the the people that are presenting themselves as candidates now and what their policies are for right now, for your immediate present and future. You know, so when you make you know voting choices based out, based out of those two factors, fear or tradition, more than likely you're leaving out the, lo- the you know the logistics of it, which are is, is kind of like necessary for progress to be made. And the other thing I'd say to that is. We have to look more and, and leaning, and stop looking at one presidential candidate is going to solve things for us. We are the people. The founding fathers didn't write, we the president, we the people that are going to choose the president, we the electoral college, we the corporations. They wrote, we the people, first three words. Focusing on local politics and state politics is is extremely important, if not as important or more important than on a federal level. The other thing is, you have to know the political process in order to hold those people accountable for their actions that are supposed to serve the people. So it's no longer about just thinking that one president is going to be the end-all be-all, negative or positive. That's foolishness. That is insanity to me. That's thinking every four, every eight years, this one person, even though we have a system of checks and balances, and at the same time saying, you know, we don't want them to just go run executive orders and executive actions, if this is a system of checks and balances, and you think that one person is going to make it right or wrong, that's insanity. You have to take more responsibility for yourself, because we are the people.
1: John Griffin, Associate Editor, Dennis Collar
2: hey thanks so much for your comments it's so refreshing to hear to hear those kinds of ideas articulated so well uh let me throw back things towards martin luther king you mentioned dr king and uh dr king of course said something that we can all uh, typically quote which is uh you know i i have a dream that one day not by the content of his character not by the color of his skin but by the content of his character i almost got that right uh and because, because of that statement being so readily recognized, you would think that people would have a clearer understanding of what Dr. King believed to be racism. But instead, we have a lot of voters, I, I run across them all the time, who say, I'm, I'm not a racist, therefore I voted for Barack Obama because he was black. To me, that's exactly the opposite of what Dr. King wanted. He, he thought that that was racism. But go, go ahead, give us a comment on that if you would.
4: I think that what happens there is, I get that people. Uh, one, the that that element has actually it's layers to that. That's an onion type of thing. One, okay, we do we do have to acknowledge that people of color, specifically Black people in America, people of African descent, have had a different scenario here. You know, for, by and large, we're the only group or quote unquote racist people that w- didn't come here just as immigrants. Okay, the lineage of those people, you know that's who we are. um with that being the case, there is a different a little bit of a different set of you know Jim Crow existed, slavery existed, these things existed. We can't uh, just ignore that the ramifications of those things didn't happen uh, or or some of those ramifications are still in existence. So yes, you have to acknowledge that and you have to work through it, however, I won't be uh, stymied or restricted by it because yes. I'm not at this point going to allow uh, those restrictions or those small-minded people or the, the lineage of those people that still may think that way to be something that blocks. Us. And that takes a different set of thought process because you have to rise above uh, acknowledging, not pretending like it doesn't exist. Then it's a delicate balance there. You have to recognize it and then not be trapped by it. So you do then have to start to, you know, look at the content of a person's character, you know? So instead of just thinking, Black guns matter means this is only for black people. No, it's called black guns matter. Now, you got to open and, you know, broaden your horizon. Then when we're having a conversation about the Second Amendment, we're talking about all people, you know, that are American citizens that have this human right through the, you know, the Bill of Rights and, you know, uh, to protect and defend themselves. That sees no color. Now, when we have people there that are utilizing these things and thinking that they have a monopoly on them because of their race, you have to still acknowledge that because that's American. We have to acknowledge what's wrong. We have to check people that are being wrong. And then we have to get right back to unity. It's a it's a delicate balance there. So I think most people miss that. And, and I think, obviously, Dr. King was way ahead of his time in, in so many areas. I think that what happens there is we lack the type of well-rounded, justice-based, uh, harmonious, thinking that a a legend like dr king has and we should all aspire to that you know to recognize what's wrong call out racism call out bigotry call out bias call out injustice and then get and don't recreate the same type of injustice in response to it you know and that's a delicate balance and um i think that more people especially with people like me running around Called, you know, knowing that we're patriots, knowing that Malcolm X was a patriot, knowing that Dr. King was a patriot, knowing that Patrick Henry was, you know, was a patriot, um, and making that balance and seeing them for the, the again the content of their character. It changes the dynamic, and that's what's key, and that's what's necessary.
1: And getting away from that slave mentality, we're talking with Maj Teray Black Guns Matter. We also have in studio Mark Miller, Libertarian candidate for Railroad Commission. On the phone, we have John Griffin, associate editor of The Daily Caller. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It.
2: on the war and you're listening to
3: come and talk it with michael cardell
0: Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right. So we're talking about
1: Black Guns Matter. We're talking with Maj Torre. We also have inside the studio Mark Miller, Libertarian candidate running for Texas Railroad Commission, which is oil and gas. Uh, So Mark Miller, uh, Dr. Miller, tell me how can people help you with the last two days of the election?
5: They should listen to what Maj just said, <laughs> which is to do your research and don't feel constrained by you're a Republican or you're a Democrat, but look for the best candidates. Um, the, the newspaper endorsements, I tell my followers, um, they're endorsements. They're not votes. So what I've been telling folks is convince your friends and neighbors to at least take a second look. I've got a Web page, Miller, number four, TX dot com. By the way, uh, Sid Miller has a tweeter. Has, has a tweet uh, Twitter account that uses FOR. We had some confusion about that this week because he was in the news. But Miller, number four, TX.com, go there. I've written a lot about my positions. yeah You should look and see whether you like them or not. Decide whether I'd be a good railroad commissioner or not. And don't feel constrained by being a Democrat or a Republican or having to go one of those routes. Um, I believe we ought to have a third party and fourth party choices in, in our political system. And uh, I think this is an election people ought to uh, consider that. It's one where there's a great deal of disillusionment with, uh, at least on the national level. And so I, I would ask uh, my supporters, people interested in my campaign, uh, consider that maybe a libertarian would be the right choice uh, come November 8th. All right. So let me go back to Maj. Maj, are you stumping for Trump?
4: No, I'm not for anybody. I mean, I I think that this is uh, uh, no one's talking about the Electoral College. No one's speaking on, you know, like, you know, the brother just said, you know, other actual parties. I think that um, the fact that we have a space where uh, the people that are uh, chosen to, you know, speak for the state's popular vote have no legal obligation to you know, vote in the Electoral College in the people's favor, I think that, you know, I think that's ludicrous. I think it's I think it's crazy. So, I'm not stumbling for Trump. I'm definitely not down for Clinton. I think that when I make that decision, it'll be, you know, when I go into the actual voting booth, you know, but as far as Communicating and, and I think for me to do that would be a disservice to people in thinking logically. And if they say that I'm, I'm, I have to pick one or whatever and that, that sparks conversation and absolutely, you know, but I do think people need to be more informed about the Electoral College just as much as anybody that's trying to get their money right should know what the Fed actually is. Mm. You know, so, and in my hood, these are things that ain't really discussed. So if I have to be, look somewhat like the unintelligent guy because I'm telling people to think outside of just this, two-party thing, you know, and uh, and to, you know, evaluate the other parts of the political process. If I got to look kind of crazy to people and, and just to make them think a little bit, you know, then I won't endorse a candidate because, you know, the sanctity of the voting booth is between that person and that, you know, that curtain, you know, so, but no, I'm, I mean, as a Second Amendment guy, you know, obviously, and again, these are things that, you know, every four years somebody says what they're about. I had, you know, initially I voted for Obama, and he re-signed, he re-signed the Patriot Act. So mm. right then and there, I was like, okay, this isn't what I thought it was going to be, you know. So I can't really get too many hopes. I have more, I have more of a hope and 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 willing to uh, put my energy and my life on the line for the people, not a politician, you know. And the last politician that I've known of, and I'm not old enough to know of, but in me doing my research, the last politician on the federal level that or the national level that I, I, I felt was you know going that direction was you know John F Kennedy you know so I don't think many of us have uh, very few candidates on a national level especially have aspired to uh, surpass what Mr. Kennedy did and, and was trying to do so when I see those type of people up then I'll, I'll, I'll stump for those guys but right now I don't think either one of them are uh, worthy of that type of praise from me, for my hood.
1: Okay. Now, why do you say the Second Amendment community will die without the support of the hood?
4: Because the other side is winning. Because the other side knows that, I mean, look at Chicago. All of the laws are there, and all of the murders there. You know, the other side is winning because they're handling things. They're, they, they evolve and use anything at their disposal to keep people sleep. You know, uh, the Second Amendment community has for a very long time Ignored urban demographics, and they, th- we're talking about large portions of America. You know, after like the first, let's say, ten cities in America, the population drops dramatically. You know, I'm from Philadelphia. We had, you know, we we number either you know five or six. We're just barely, at, you know, in, 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 in you know, in population, but we're you know the only city in the state of Pennsylvania that is a, what's called a city of the first class, which means has over a million inhabitants. And we're top five, top six every, you know, when a census comes out, you know. So these are large numbers of concentrated areas of people, and that's why it's about people control. So if the urban demographic, the hood, Philly, Chicago, Compton, you know, L.A., Jersey, these pla you know, certain parts of Jersey, these high concentrations of populations of people, if they don't get involved and be, get informed, then we can lose this fight. You don't have to be afraid to get, you know, to get your butt with We might not be afraid, but we still can lose unless the urban demographic, biggest consumer market, gets behind it and starts to support the things, the businesses, the politicians, and the corporations that are in alignment with human rights and Second Amendment rights. If not, they will continue to pull the wool over the eyes of the general public, starting with high population urban demographics, and continue to slowly erode those rights and trick people over time. They win by attrition. They don't just come say, hey, tomorrow we're coming to take all of the guns. They do one right, one law, one legis- piece of legislation, slowly, over time. And that's how they winning. So, with the urban environment and the hood getting involved, and when I say hood, I mean places of uh, generally urban areas, but bigger than that, areas where people ain't rich. Most of America's hood, because most of us aren't rich. You know, we aspire to be. You know, we aspire to be financially sound. We aspire to these things. So when those, that general public gets involved and there's more hands on our side of the rope for this tug of war that we're in, then we win. But right now, the opposition on marketing and branding alone and how they're presenting it to the urban demographics to vote in their own disinterest, they're winning. And we got to get on board.
1: And one of the most dangerous things is universal background checks. And that's Mm -hmm. what I cannot get people to understand, because when you talk about universal background checks, Mm -hmm. what you're saying is that for every transaction, every firearm transaction, you're going to have to get a background check. So what do you do with that person that when they were 17 years old, convicted of a felony, they're now 45, 50, 60, 70 years old. That person will never, ever, ever, ever be able to purchase a firearm for their own personal protection inside their home. And that's what universal background check means. You will never be forgiven.
4: Right, and see that this, this cute thing that they do. That's why I say they're beating us up on the marketing and branding. They use cute words and phrases, universal background checks. Background checks already exist. There is no gun show loophole. There is no online loophole. These are marketing terms by the other side using these words to convince you to move in your own disinterest. You know, so if I go to a gun store, I don't, uh, a gun show, I don't just buy the thing. This guy has an FFL, a federal firearms license. He's not just going to just give me, I give him the money, he gives me the gun with no background check. They all, background checks are already in place. And the thing is, the people that are buying guns illegally don't go through the process because they don't care about the rules. So it doesn't matter how many rules that you create. You're just, the real agenda is you're trying to hamstring the general public and then make them be the criminals and then they're felons and blah, 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 blah. You know, so it's it's, it's a very uh, skillful and, and crafty way that they're playing the game. But once you inform the hood about the game that won, that the game is being played on them, and you show them, like, hey, they were trying to trick you, nobody wants to feel tricked, especially hardworking, you know, uh, people, middle and poor class people. Nobody wants to get tricked or played. You could have just told me the truth and made the decision for myself, you know. So that's why we got to get them on board. And we got to expose those type of little slick oh common sense gun laws. You know what I mean? No. It's not common sense. Is you labeling it something, and it's actually a detrimental. People control law, you know, but they can't. Obviously, they can't call it that. So once we inform people that way, like we're doing at Black Guns Matter, it's really easy. I mean, it's a it's a it's a it's a uh, it's a big trick, but it's really like thin. You can poke through that with just a little bit of information.
1: Man, I tell you, I want to thank you, Maj, Torre, Black Guns Matter for coming on the show. I'm definitely going to get you into texas i want to get you here to austin to talk to my organization um, and also to sit here in the studio so definitely hold on don't hang up just yet Uh, i want to thank mark miller the libertarian candidate for railroad commission i'm telling you get out and vote you got to go vote we have two days left but election day is on tuesday you've got to vote uh we got to get mark miller in as the railroad commissioner so definitely get get out there and vote and support him and ladies and gentlemen, as always, more guns equals less crime. Go out and buy yourself a gun. You've been listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill.
4: Well, I'm not too young to remember. When you can
1: keep- this episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.